welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website, too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Well, for the second week in a row, I'm chatting with someone about a subject I know practically nothing about. In this case, this week, I must admit to being a wannabe, and maybe you are too. So many midlifers I know would love to be effective at a certain craft and hopefully prove to be a creative genius. Are you curious yet? My guest today is a delightful young woman named Christora Osters. She's a Kentucky wedding photographer. Now, before you wonder if so many of my friends are getting married at this age that I need to interview a wedding photographer, let me explain. In some ways, a photographer is a photographer when you're talking professionals, of course. But first of all, Christora is a traveler. She loves to explore new places, try new restaurants, and create epic images in different countries at least once a year. COVID is not a part of the discussion today. (laughs) So she's experienced capturing people, places, moments, you know, all the stuff we want to capture when our children and grandchildren visit, the events, the celebration, the love. Hmm, well, sounds like something a wedding photographer might know something about. (laughs) Um, Secondly, a number of years ago, my daughter was married on the beautiful island of Mallorca. She hired a photographer to chronicle the amazing weekend, and it was fabulous. The bride and groom, their love, obviously. Also the families, the children, the wind in our hair, the spectacular food, other moments I had no clue had transpired. And my walls weren't big enough to hold all the photos I wanted to hang. So I know something about the skill of a wedding photographer. So without further ado, it is my great pleasure to introduce Christora Osters. Christora, thank you and welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. No, thank you so much. I'm, I am delighted to be here and just to talk to your audience a little bit about capturing those moments like you're talking about. It's not just for weddings. It's, it's everyday moments that you just don't know if you're going to get back. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. It says on your website that the first time you had a camera in your hand was while you were living abroad in China. Tell us more. Yeah. So when, okay, my, my history is very much so based on living in other countries. When I turned 19, I moved to Mexico, then to Peru, then I was in the Peace Corps in Costa Rica. So coming back from Costa Rica, I just wasn't ready for a nine to five. So I, I tried a nine to five for about a year and then I decided that it just wasn't for me. So I applied to this position, the best position in the world. I truly don't know how I got it. I actually got to teach English teachers in China how to teach English more efficiently. So I wasn't just in one area of China. I moved every three weeks. So we were teaching the same things over and over and over to these, to these people. 
but you got to experience more of the country and also more of the culture because there are different cultures in different areas of China. Well, so a gentleman who was actually on my team working with me, he had two cameras and he gave me one of the cameras and said, why don't you try it? So I would take a picture. He would take a picture and his photos were so much better than mine. And I am so competitive. I was so upset. And so I just started YouTubing how to do certain things and it became a passion project from there. So when I moved back to the States, I actually interviewed for a position as a high school Spanish teacher in Louisville, Kentucky, while I was living abroad in China. My parents moved all of my things down, chose an apartment for me, and I moved from China to Louisville with two days to go before school started. But there was a bonus that I got for signing with this particular school district. So my bonus went to purchasing a camera of my own, and that's how my love affair with photography began. Oh, that's great. I was, I always come with notes. And my next question was, did you recognize right away you had talent? But apparently, no. <laughs> no, I had, I, I wouldn't say that I, so you can, you can look at a photograph and say, wow, that's a really well, well taken photograph. But there are aspects of a photograph that I learned along the way. And I was able to, oh gosh, Agnes, if I showed you some of my prior work when I first began, it is it's silly, but that just shows everybody where you can go with it. So if you're finding that something that you're doing is not resonating with you or that you're not actually capturing the moment in the way that you that you want, thank goodness that we live in a day and age where we can literally just Google it and say, hey, how do I get a better image? What aspects of photography will actually make my photograph better? And so I started with that and then I found other mentors and other ways along other like pathways along my steps to get where I'm at. And I'm still doing that to this day. I still look at my photographs and say, how can I do this better? So. Oh, that's amazing. Can we start with, I guess, the tools of the trade? Talk to us about cameras. Well, so one of the best things right now is that you actually have access to a camera typically right in front of you, which is your iPhone. So. Most of us have an iPhone right in front of us. They are progressive. They are excellent. There are ways to actually utilize your iPhone in a way that will make it look similar to a camera. It doesn't have to do with what kind of camera you have in hand. It has to do with the person who's actually utilizing it. I can take a photograph better on my iPhone than somebody might with a DSLR camera. So a DSLR is just a digital camera that actually registers things um, onto an SD card instead of just onto your iPhone. If you go in and you actually look at your iPhone, you can see when you go in and take a photograph, there's a place that you can click edit and play with all of these different aspects to change the way that your photograph looks. Whether it be cropping, whether it be changing the aperture. So aperture means how blurry something is in the background. So if you look at a photograph and you see that there is a main focus point, at the very front, like for example, if I really want to capture a bride in motion, I might place her in the foreground of a, of a photograph and have all of her bridesmaids behind her surrounding her. But the lower that my aperture is, that means the blurrier the photo. So our iPhones actually, if we go on portrait mode, have the ability to do that too. So you can go in, you can take a photograph with your portrait mode and you can change the aperture when you click edit to go lower or higher to make areas of the photograph more blurry or more crisp and clear. 
Does that make sense? It, it does. But what's interesting, oh, we're totally off, off my notes now, um, <laughs> is Monday morning, I was with a client and there was the most spectacular double rainbow in the sky. So yeah, yeah what do I have in my pocket? I have my iPhone. Her mm-hmm. husband pulled in the driveway and didn't know what we were looking at, took a look, took a picture on his iPhone. And now he is also a bit of a photographer. He takes beautiful photographs. Um, and we compared photographs and his was so much better. But he, what he said was, because I find mine don't capture those colors. And what he said is, oh, no, no, I bought a phone that with specifically really good camera because he loves taking photographs. So sure. Can I fix my iPhone or is he correct insofar as there are some phones that are really more specific for taking photographs? There are certain phones that actually focus more on the photography aspect. For example, um, my my phone that I have right now only has one lens, but they're coming out with, with phones that actually have three or four different lenses that will add together to create that saturated effect, the saturation where the color will pop. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't do that in post-processing, meaning that editing aspect. When you go into and you edit that photograph, you can take that saturation up and actually change the saturation on your phone. For him, though, he's going to be able to do it more quickly and more efficiently just because of those those differences in the phone that he has on his camera or the camera that he has on his phone. (laughs) Maybe it is the opposite. He has a phone on his camera. (laughs) Right. Right, exactly. So it, it, it does depend when you go in and you look for a new phone, what you're looking for. And if you are interested in capturing photographs where they are going to, to start off in a better aspect, you might want to actually research that a little bit more as far as what camera is or what phone is going to be the best to get those cameras from. So as far as other cameras go, though, you have your option of a point and shoot, which would be the typical hit the button, out comes the lens. You know, you take a photograph, the lens comes back in, and then you have that on, an, on a card as well that you can go and you can take and print. You have the option for a DSLR, which is going to be where you can control your shutter speed. So how quickly the, the camera takes the photograph, you'll be able to control the aperture. So the blurriness of the photo, and you'll be able to, to um, control the light, meaning the ISO is what actually gives you the ability to control the light coming into the camera. So that's on a DSLR. A mirrorless camera, which is where professional photography is headed, is a little bit different because it does not have an area of your camera that bounces any kind of light off of it. What you see is what it registers. So I can actually take my camera and I can look at the back of the camera and know exactly what my photograph is going to look like as I change my settings from aperture ISO and my shutter speed to make sure that I'm not going to get this pitch black photo or I'm not going to get a photograph that is completely blown out with too much light. Whereas a DSLR doesn't have the ability to show that you have to actually read the light meter in order to get through that. And I know there's a ton of terms in here, a ton of like very professional terms that we're talking about. I'm trying to explain it as well as I can. So stop me if I'm if I'm going off on a tangent or if it's not being registering. The tangent so. is great because I have this recording on my computer now. <laughs> okay, great. 
go back and re-listen to it. Absolutely. Exactly. A dozen times. And I will say with a DSLR, there are different settings on there that are auto settings. So you don't have to think about your light exposure, your aperture, or your shutter speed. The camera will do it for you. However, if you really want the control over what you're seeing, like in the final photograph, learning those three aspects are going to be key to creating the ambiance that you're wanting from it. So if I, for example, if I were to go out and I were to photograph a sunset, I just came back from Florida. I just went through this process. So if I'm going out and I'm photographing a sunset and I set my camera to auto, it's going to pick up on the light source that it sees first. So it might pick up on the light source that actually has to do with the sunset. Well, then the rest of my subjects are, are dark. I can fix that in post-processing, but I can actually manipulate the ISO, the aperture, and the shutter speed so that there's a balance between the light source coming in from the sun setting and my couple who's on the beach there. So that's where it changes and play with it. All you have to do is play with it. Start with one. Okay. So there are, there are, there are like four different settings that I would say that you could start with. You can start with aperture priority, which is the A on the top of a DSLR. What that means is that you set the aperture, the camera fixes the rest of the settings around the aperture. There is a shutter setting, the S setting. You can set your shutter speed. This is really great for people who are going out and taking pictures of their grandkids at sporting events, of their children when they are horseback racing or horseback riding, of little kids that are running around. You want a faster shutter speed so that you're not missing their faces. You're not missing those jumping moments. So that shutter speed, if you set that, the camera is going to fix your aperture and your ISO around the shutter speed. Same thing. You can go ISO priority where the ISO, you set the ISO and then the aperture and the shutter speed correct themselves. So really those are the four that I would start on. Start with auto. And then play around with your aperture setting, your shutter speed setting, and your ISO or your light opening setting. And then once you actually figure those out, you can move on to your manual setting where you control all three of them. Hmm. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Well, this is interesting because I have what used to be a really high-end camera. I bought it for professional use. And I Mm -hmm. did play with a lot of things. But of course, I'm such a fabulous mom that when my daughters came to visit and they started playing with stuff and I finally quit using it because I just, it was like, it was, it was so adjusted. I couldn't, couldn't figure anything out anymore. Sure. So is there a return to factory settings or is it just safe to go back and start again? Or what, what would I do? Cause I haven't used it for years. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Just reset your factory settings and then start again. So there's, so here's the great thing about photography. Even though we might get a photograph wrong or we might change our settings, there are ways for us to go back in and say, this is what I learned from it. And then you just kind of readjust. Okay. What did I do this last time? All right. I know not to do that this time. Let's start over again. So I I highly encourage you go back to factory settings, make sure your date is correct in there. It will ask you if you want English, things of that sort. But there, and there are so many things to play with in the menu. I will say one of the best things that one of my mentors told me was when you get a new toy, 
like whether it be a lens, whether it be, you know, a camera, whether it be a, a light or a light stand, read the entire manual. It becomes like, while it becomes very tedious to do with everything that you get, especially when I first started, I mean, I was buying lenses left and right, thinking that I needed everything under the sun before I learned, oh gosh, I, I don't need that. I can manipulate what I have to get the effect that I actually want from this. But reading through those, I would find the nuances and what controlled those different parts that I really wanted to utilize when I was creating those photographs. So I, I highly recommend just grab that or go online. Everything has, the manuals are all online. And I don't necessarily, I'll tell you a secret. I don't really read the entire <laughs> she thing. She into the camera. This is great. Yes. <laughs> I skim through the entire thing, going through and seeing, what do I not know? What is new about this piece of equipment that I might need to know that would be different from another piece of equipment that I have? But when you're first starting out, definitely read it. Reading is our, it's so underutilized, I feel like, in this, in my generation, not in your generation, but in my generation, the, the reading, you can learn so much from other people simply by reading what they've written for you. And so many people want that visual aspect, and I know that. But there are ways to do that online, too. You can go to YouTube and find the same kind of thing where it walks you through, here's your new camera. Let's unpackage it. Let's see what are, what's different about this versus this camera. I remember I, I bought a new light, and I was so confused about how to utilize this light. It was So I originally had a Nikon speed light, which means it's an, a separate light that I can connect to my camera. And I decided to switch over from a Nikon version to a Godox version. So different brands, different way of controlling things. What I really loved about the Godox, they have batteries that are rechargeable. Nikon does not have that. And the Godox system is just more intuitive. But intuitive is not my middle name. (laughs) And so I had to go in and do my research about how to actually utilize this Godox light, how to how to actually make it work for what I was trying to do with it. I adore my Godox lights now, but it took me, a, it was a process. It was a learning process. And, and I think that's maybe why I love photography so much is I'm definitely a lifelong learner. If I am not learning, I'm not happy. It's, it's one of my core values. It's part of who I am. And so if I'm not being challenged, I, I don't necessarily enjoy it as much. And so finding those new and different things that will actually help with my growth as a photographer, along with the growth of other people, you know, and gosh, there's nothing like when you show someone a photograph and they're like, how did you do this? You know what I mean? Like, I'll never forget this earlier this year, we had a wedding on January 1st and the Christmas trees were still up. So I utilized the Christmas trees I actually put, a, now again, this is very complex, probably above what we're talking about with our, our listeners, but I put a gel that onto one of my flashes that would actually illuminate the Christmas tree into a purplish glow. I set my aperture where it was very low, so very, very low number for my aperture, meaning that the rest of the photograph was blurry except for what I chose to focus on. And then I lit my couple off in the distance So you could see them kind of dancing, but what it created was it created this glow, this halo glow of the Christmas lights, because I shot through the Christmas tree that was all illuminated in purple. 
and then the couple over to the side that just looked like it was caught in a moment. And so it's those kind of things that when you figure out how to learn the tools that are in front of you, you can really start to expand on your creativity and what you what you want to bring bring to the people who you're photographing. So if you don't know your equipment, it also takes you out of the moment that you're spending with those people that you love. So that's where I really highly encourage everybody to, to, to do your research. And don't just think that a point and shoot camera is going to be the best thing for you. A point and shoot camera isn't going to get that running image of your son as he kicks the soccer ball. Like it's not going to be as effective as it might be if you even just got a kit lens, meaning a base lens that went along with the DSLR so that you have more control over your shutter speed. Maybe I also need to Sorry, lots to. of lots No, of. it's oh it's so interesting, but I'm also you really hit I hit a nerve because I I'm great. I open up the manual and I start and I do this and I do that and I get to page five and I go, like I just want to go try this now. And once that manual's closed, it's like it's closed. <laughs> Absolutely. So I obviously need to just stick with it a bit longer and keep going and keep coming coming back to the manual. Or as you say, everything's on, you know, Dr. Google now. Dr. Google. I love it. <laughs> it's true. I don't know how we survived without it. I, I was, like I said, I was just in Florida and I'm like, how would I have done this without Google maps? I would have used an Atlas like I did when I was, you know, in my teens. Like, I just don't know how we survived without it before. So I still use maps. I prefer maps. I, I love, love it. it. I love oh, maps. I love it. I love maps. Oh, dear. Okay. What are the different approaches to photographing scenes or people or, or something like a talent, um, like painting, like, a, you know, somebody paints or they do needlepoint and they want to get that beautiful, capture that beautiful picture, you know, maybe to sell it or just to display it or whatever. So I think that we, as humans, oftentimes we think what we see with our eyes is exactly what's going to be appealing. And the fact of the matter is that angles are everything. So when you're taking a photograph and you're trying to sell something, think about the angles that you're photographing from. You might be photographing straight down where it would be perpendicular to what you're actually trying to sell, but it might actually be a better photograph if you come at it more from where your stomach is. So I like to think of it like a clock. So I I try and tell people all the time, let's think of this as the clock method. So if you start at 6 p.m., and then you move to seven to eight to nine to 10 to 11 to 12, you're going to have six different photographs and you can see which version you like the best. So we tend to rush through it though, as far as, okay, right here, this is my eye level. This is going to be the best photograph. Instead of thinking about where we can actually place our cameras to change the angle. We don't necessarily have to change the object, but changing that camera angle can mean all the difference in the world. Uh, okay. <laughs> Does that answer it? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Things are cranking here now. I don't want to get into too much of my own personal stuff here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How about it, like scenery and people, the same thing? So scenery is definitely one of those wider is, is typically better when you're looking at scenery. You want to, to find a focal point, but typically with scenery, depending on what you're photographing. So when I go for scenery, I'm going to overlay different aspects of a scene together. So I'll take three photographs of a scene where I'm focused only on the sky, focused only on the mountains, focused only on the lake that's in front of me. And then I will superimpose those three together to create that scenery. 
But if we are, if we're talking about just going out and finding scenery, the most interesting scenery that you can take a photograph of is going to be where you have a foreground, a middle ground and a background. So if you are trying to just take a photograph and I'm sure you've seen this before, if I were to walk out my door and I were to take a photograph of the tree in my front yard, I can make that tree more interesting by photographing through the bush that's right in front of me. So adding that small piece of foreground brings our attention into the scenery in a better way than what it would be if I just saw that tree. People are a completely different thing though. There are times where you focus on just on scenery around a couple or around a family, but there are also moments where you really want that up close, personal, emotive, almost like invasive moment with the people that you're talking about. Those candid images of the laughter of, you know, the cackling of that single tear that's falling down somebody's face. Those are moments that you just, I personally like to be as close as possible. And when I say as close as possible, I use a very long lens so that I'm not close to them at all. So they don't feel like I'm being intrusive or anything of that sort. But those are, those are what people remember. When you can look at a photograph and you can see the emotion or the, or the movement behind it, those are the most magical photographs, regardless of whether they're, they're all good composition, regardless of if somebody's limbs are cut off, you're still going to love that photograph. So question for you, what are your favorite pictures from your daughter's wedding? Well, it's uh, okay. Let me hop down here. Okay. Because in my notes, I say, I, I stay on the theme of wedding photography. My daughter's photographer spent much of the two days before the actual wedding day, just the, you know, the two of them out around and about anywhere at all. And, and his theory was that he wanted himself and his camera to be so much a part of the, the scenery, the furniture on the wedding day that they would forget he was there. They wouldn't notice. But yes. there's, there's those moments, as you say, you know, where that they're just almost at the kiss. One of my favorite photographs isn't even them. It's my grandson and one of, <laughs> I guess, my son-in-law's nieces. And we're on the upper level of, a hotel, of the hotel at the beach mm-hmm. on Mallorca there's this beautiful pool and there's these wafty white chiffoni curtains around. And it was just that capture as they're both sitting on the edge of the pool. They're both about five, just bare feet in the pool. And yeah, yeah, they were so into just the company and the pool and the moment it was just, it, it captured something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it takes it, but it takes you back. That's the beauty and the magic in photography is when it can really, it really can pull you back into those emotions that you felt on that day. My, my father recently um, suffered a stroke about a year ago and looking back on my wedding photos and the moments where I'm looking at him or he's looking at me, those are moments that I can, I can feel still. And we've been married for 10 years. Like my husband and I have been married for 10 years. And yes, there are moments with him, of course, that I feel that way too. But right now, especially as life presents challenges in itself, it's those life challenges that if you don't have those photographs with your loved ones, you can't necessarily, I mean, you can bring yourself back into it, but those photographs create this portal. It's like a time portal that just 
it transports not only like you visually, but you can actually like, I can smell what it smelled like on that day. When I look at that photograph, I can hear the music that's playing. I can, you know, I can remember exactly what he said to me in that moment. And that to me is priceless. Like that aspect of it, of photo of photography in general is priceless. That's what I'm aiming for every time that I'm with a couple. And I'm so grateful that your that the photographer for your daughter took the time because he's not just getting them comfortable. He's also beginning to understand their relationship and what's going to mean the most to them. So that's the other thing is if you know what a relationship is and you can get somebody comfortable in front of a camera, there's magic in that. There's true magic when we can let someone feel truly themselves while they're being captured. <laughs> just, I'm just thinking of one other photograph that I absolutely love. And my son-in-law's mother and I, we, we adore each other. <laughs> just, if she didn't live in Spain, we'd be best buddies. But because she's a woman of a certain age and she's getting that, that chin, she has sure. this habit of just resting her fingers on her chin. Oh, I love so it. So as a joke, myself, his mother, his auntie, who was like a second mother to him, and then my daughter's stepmother, all four of us were in a photograph, and we all did that little hand under the chin, sideways look, you know, trying to <laughs> look younger and cuter. And, and he was so game for all of that stuff. It was, yeah, it was just amazing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I, but again, so, so his aunt has, has since passed? No. Oh, okay. But is very ill and now I think has dementia and things like that. So it was one of the last moments where she was still really tuned in. Um, yeah. Oh, well, but again, that it, it's one of those memories that it takes you back. It really does. It takes you back to that moment. I love it. I just, and I love to hear what those moments are for people after the fact. Yeah. So, cause a lot of times people don't even recognize that photos are, are being taken. And that's the best moment to be in is when no one, nobody even knows that you're there. Like your photographer was saying, and how did you get that massive, you know, I, a wedding that we just had on January 15th. And I know that all of everything I'm talking about has to do with weddings, but that's what I specialize in. And this, this girl just, she and her father have not been around each other for three years. And so these moments of her, his hand on her shoulder and they're laughing. She's like, I just, I will cherish this for the rest of my life because I really did not have a relationship with them. And even if I don't speak to him again, I had this moment. And it's like, those moments are so priceless. It just, oh, I love photography so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, if you're just doing even a, a, a front on face picture of somebody, mm-hmm. um, can you give us any tips there? And, and I guess I'm, once again, I'm talking about myself, but I find that I never, t- like, I, I, I never like the look, and I don't, I don't feel I'm photogenic. Some people are so photogenic. It's like, do you ever take a bad photo? Like, can you, you know, drool or something so that I can have a bad photo of you, <laughs> you know? And yet I, I can count on one hand, I think, the number of photos of myself in the last few years that I really like. Like, how do you get people organized for a, a photograph? Well, those are, those, are, those are two very loaded questions, right? So <laughs> the, the organization of other people, like of a group of, of people is completely different than a singular one-on-one photo. Okay, okay. One of the things that we tend to do is we tend to actually re- rest, our, rest ourselves backwards. 
And one of the ways that you can take better photographs in general is to tilt slightly from your hips. So if you tilt slightly from your hips forward, it not only, it not only forces you to balance. So when we're standing straight up, we, we just tend to shift our weight from, from foot to foot. You become more conscious of your lower extremities if you tilt forward. And then a lot of times I will ask my, my uh, couples or somebody who I'm photographing to move. It's so counterintuitive to what we think about when we think about a photograph. But oftentimes when you have somebody who's in front of the camera, they are not only are they nervous, but they're thinking about, am I going to like this photograph or am I not? If you can bring someone into movement first. So for example, on a family shoot, have everyone grab hands and swing around swing themselves around, you bring yourself out of that thinking process of what do I look like and into the moment. And everyone looks better when they're in the moment and they're smiling in that moment. So when you're talking though about like the tips and tricks for getting a better photograph, even of yourself. So let's say, for example, you just want to do a selfie. Okay. You do want to do almost like those old school photos. Okay. So the old school photos, if you remember, they want you to turn almost at a 45 degree angle. So one shoulder is closer. You lower the front shoulder, the shoulder that's closest to the camera. You lower it down. You bring yourself forward. You can see it even right now. I know that our, our listeners can't, but you can see it even right now on the screen. When I bring myself lower, it automatically gives my jawline a better jaw. Okay. So you want to bring yourself kind of forward. And then you actually, the, the biggest key to a good photograph is your hands. If you think about it, what do you, you don't know what to do with your hands typically in a photograph, right? So just start, you want to hold on to something, whether it be your elbow, whether it be put your hands into your pocket, whether it be wrap around another person who's with you, that again, is going to take you out of the place of what do I look like in this photograph and into the place of this is a connective moment that I have with someone else or a connection that you have even with the camera at that point. So the more that you can tip, and again, you don't want to bend at a 90 degree angle and be completely bent over. That would be ridiculous. It's a slight bending forward, but again, it will, it will, it thins everyone out, first of all, because your face is going to be the focal point regardless. That's what we want is we want your face to be the focal point. Your body will look thinner, slimmer. It will also be to a point where it will, <laughs> she's raising the roof right now. I love it. <laughs> But your body, it will. And then if you actually rest your weight on your back foot, once you've turned that 40 degree angle, it will give your front leg, it will almost make it look like, like graceful, like a deer. So, and if you pop want that front leg, then pop that front knee, it gives that va-va-voom look to your body that we all want. And we, I mean, I am straight up and down. I have zero curves. And I can make myself look like a curve in any photograph possible because of that. So having that one, the, it's almost about creating triangles with your body. You have the triangle of your knee coming up and out. You have a triangle when you hold onto your arm. You have a triangle between your neck and your shoulder. We as human beings tend to raise our shoulders. You want your shoulders to go down and back. There's so much information here, right? But if you truly want to, so this would be my recommendation. Start with your shoulders. So take your shoulders up, back and down, turn at a 45 degree angle or a 35 degree angle, pick whichever side you like, 
right? We all have a side. Well, not everybody, but most people have a side that they really enjoy, that they like better than the other side. So turn to the side, tilt a little bit from the hips, and then touch something somewhere with your hands. Hold on to something with your hands. And it will create a better photograph than, than what you had in the past. And if you can't get yourself out of that, start to move, start to, to walk, start to, you know, turn around and raise your hands in the air and yell. Like those kind of things are going to get you more out of your head than anything else. Some of the prompting that I use with my couples, for example, I, I like to call what I do candid posing. I see your angles. I can see your angles better than anybody else can. But the last thing that I want, well, I shouldn't say better than anybody else, better than you know how to, to put yourself into a position. But the last thing that I want is I don't want you to be like, okay, now look at the camera. Now look at each other. That, that's not authentic. It's not genuine. So instead I'll say something, you know, like Jared, will you smell her hair and make sure she showered today? And all of a sudden, right. And all of a sudden they're truly laughing with each other because it is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. But I have put them into a position where they are in a good angle for both of them. And that one prompt is going to get that genuine laughter that maybe you didn't get just from being like, now giggle. So there's a difference in how you actually instruct people how to take a photograph as well. You were talking earlier about groups of, of people together. It's very easy to just ask someone for family photos to stand up there and smile. But typically what I'll do is I will say, okay, before we do this family photo, we're going to do a big group bear hug. And that big group bear hug, like, first of all, the couple is getting hugs left and right. I mean, this is pre-COVID. And now yeah. <laughs> it's starting to come back a little bit. Like, and a lot of people at weddings have not cared. So, but they will give a big hug to the bride and groom. And the fact of the matter is that takes you away from, I'm about to take a photograph and into the moment of, I love this couple so much. And I'm so glad, glad for them. So bringing someone out of their head and into the moment, I really think that that is key to any good photograph when you're photographing a subject. Now, again, if you're doing something like sports, or something where someone is running or laughing or playing, not having them recognize that you're taking a photograph. So I have two young, a niece and a nephew who are five and they were just down in Florida with us. We went to Magic Kingdom and my sisters continually were saying to them, now look at the camera, now look at the phone, now look at the camera, now look at the phone. And instead I would say, oh, and what do you think about your, like your Mickey Mouse ice cream popsicle and he would look up and go and it's it's things like that that if you can get someone to smile about what's occurring rather than to look at a camera and smile it's just more authentic and it makes everyone in general feel better about what they look like because they re they don't remember that they took a photograph they remember what they were talking about or they remember what they were thinking about in that moment or who they were with. So yeah, I'm off on a tangent again. I'm so no, sorry. it's great. Cause I, I hope our listeners are getting as many aha moments as I am right now. Cause I'm just thinking like, like with the bride and groom, you know, you could have said now, now lean forward as though, you know, you're just sort of nuzzling her hair or something and they, oh, sure. it's contrived. 
Whereas, you know, when you say, oh, just smell the hair, make sure she showered today. It's like, that's hilarious. No, it's my wedding day. I never shower on my wedding day. You know, it's funny. It's he's probably mm-hmm. going to milk it a little bit, you know, so it just creates mood, not seen, perhaps. Is that? Yeah, absolutely. It's I know what I'm looking for. Right. I know that I'm looking for that laughter. But I also know that if I take a photograph where it's simply laugh, that that's never going to feel yes. real, you know, with, with bridal parties. And I know this is a little crass, it's, but it's, it works. And when I want to get a laughing picture of a wedding party, I have three different things that I do. I will ask everybody to grab somebody else's butt. Okay, guys, I want you to grab somebody. And they'll, they'll go, What? And then someone will do it and inevitably everyone breaks out into laughter. I'll have the worst dancer start dancing for everybody in the group. And then inevitably that breaks out into laughter or, and my new favorite that I love doing lately. And again, this is where the crisis comes in. I have everyone in the wedding party yell their favorite cuss word at the top of their lungs. (laughs) And right. And that, that laughter afterwards is inevitable. It's just an inevitable thing that happens and I'm not looking for the moment when they're all yelling. I'm looking for the moment after, but they don't have to know that. So, and they're going to think about that photograph and remember that that's what they did. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny, just all the things that come together. Cause I think one of my favorite, more recent photographs of myself was taken by my grandson who might've been seven or eight at the time. And he, he had, the camera, the, I think it was probably just the phone camera. And he, I knew he wanted to take my picture and I was avoiding it. And then mm-hmm. finally, I just, I'd, I'd had my back to him. And finally, I just turned around and looked. And as you say, between the jaw and, and it's my grandson. So of course I got this great look on my face. I don't even care about all the wrinkles from my chins um, <laughs> because he, he, he clicked at the right moment. So like everything you said proved positive. That's, I mean, and, (laughs) and that's the beauty in a photograph is when you, when you remember the moment, it really doesn't matter what you look like. It's just that you have that moment. You truly do. You have that moment. So it's, it's powerful. It's a powerful tool that, that we have. Well, and such a great tip because, you know, like so many of us are grandparents at my age and, And as you say, instead of saying, oh, look at the camera, smile, it's like, okay, you know, imagine this or tell me about the toy in your hand and and things like that. So one thing that I don't know, (laughs) an older movie now, I don't know if you've ever seen it, is it's like A Thousand Ways to Die in the West. No, I haven't. Okay. It is so funny. If you can find it on Netflix or wherever watch it it is okay. so funny it's it's not that old it's just a few years old now but because it's set in the west they talk about the old camera or the old photographs you know with the guy with the, the thing over his head and everything else and standing there and they said that that's the reason that nobody smiled in those photographs is because it took yeah. so long to take the photograph that by the time you sat there for like a minute and a half, everybody looked, and then they said everybody looked crazy or rabbit or something. But it's one of those moments that stuck with me because we all feel that way too. So once again, as you say, if you can capture something in the moment, it's a thought, it's a movement, it's a whatever. It's you get mm-hmm. away from that Cheshire cat. 
pasted on grin that's now, you know, like not, nobody looks good. <laughs> well, and it's, it's not real, right? It's not a real, not to say it's not a real photograph because it is, it's definitely a real photograph. It's just real authentic smiles are better than something that you're just looking at a camera and, and giggling about. It, it's always going to be that way, at least for me, for me personally. Now, there, there are times and places that it calls for those, you know, the family settings where everybody looks at the camera and smiles. We have those moments, but the in-between moments, like the dad throwing his daughter up into the air and she's giggling with laughter, you know, the mom or even the brothers chasing each other on the playground. Those in-between moments tell the story more than that over the mantle photograph of the entire family sitting there, perfect posture, smiling at the camera. You know, those, those are what, that's what matters to me. And so that's what I aim for with my clients. Now, if you're different, if you want that, absolutely go for that. But know that if you can get those, those in-between moments beforehand, those smiles when you're sitting in that perfect posture are going to be more genuine. Because you've enjoyed the fact that you're throwing somebody in the air, you're chasing someone. Now, we don't want people rolling around on the ground, clearly, during a family photo shoot. But if that's a way that you're going to get your kids to look at the camera and giggle, who cares if there's a little dirt on them? Like, if that is really what it takes to get them, and I, I know I'm speaking to a specific clientele right now, especially people who have children between the ages of three and nine that's a tough age. It's a hard time to get a photograph that's really good of your entire family. So let them be them. Let them run. Let them play. Let them climb. You can, you can touch it out later. Those little, those little dirt smudges or the little moments, you know, of now given if you're wearing all white, watch yourself, but. <laughs> I'm just thinking too, <laughs> like a, the family photo, because I was going to ask about that is it sounds to me like instead of lining everybody up and you know having the tall people at the back and the little people on knees and all that sort of stuff great do your composition but then have hire the guy next door to walk in the back door and do a face plant in a cream pie and then snap you know like yeah because then suddenly they've got a focus it's totally outside themselves everybody's looking in the same direction and it's also funny yes Find, find something that's going to make people giggle, you know, find something that is going to be, that's going to get them again. Like we've said the entire podcast in the moment, it's, it's the, in the moment. And I, I really think of it. My job is not just to, it's not simply to take the photographs. It's not simply to, you know, photojournalistically be there. I also create moments for people to remember. Like there are so many brides and grooms on their wedding day where there are stressors like crazy as far as my dress, my bridesmaids, what's going on with the food. And my job is to bring them back into why they're there, which is the love that they have for their spouse and the love that they actually share with the person that they've decided to spend the rest of their life with. Like I have that honor, but it's also a huge responsibility that I'm not sure that a lot of people understand in that moment but also I want it to be fun I want them to look back on their wedding day and and have had fun with each other and have had fun with their bridal party and have enjoyed every moment that they possibly could because it goes by so quickly 
And it's the same thing with kids. They grow up so fast. So instead of making a family, a family session as stressful as possible, trying to find those little things in between that could be humorous or could be, it's a memory in a making, in the making. So I think a lot of times people just, just turn to, I want this to be perfect instead of, I want this to be what it will be. And I'm going to have a memory from it no matter what. I think that if we changed our attitude about what, what a photograph or a photography session is, that a lot of times things go a lot smoother when you have that say la vie attitude and understand that moments will be made regardless, whether it be that, you know, your, your kid really could just pick up a pile of dirt and throw it at somebody. It really could. I find too, as, as we get older, uh, hopefully more of us are thinking, you know, what's perfect is not that perfect composition where everybody's looking at the same spot and they've got the perfect smile, but more it's perfectly real. Yeah. Yeah. The, the crawling all over each other. You know, I, I had a couple the other day, they had three kids. Their daughter actually would not put down her binky. Like, and her binky had that massive giraffe on it. You yeah. know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Where, so it's connected. And the dad was so upset with her. Oh. And he's like, get that binky out of your mouth. Get it out of your mouth. And I was like, Tom, you know, like, let, but just let her have it for a minute. And then I was like, Maria, will you throw me? Let's see how far you can throw the giraffe. And she was like, as she threw it super far, yeah. her dad was like, how did, how did you do that? And it's <laughs> like, because I wasn't telling her what she couldn't do. I was asking her to prove something that she could do. And then she was laughing because the giraffe was like rolling around. And I mean, yeah. it worked out great, but trusting the photographer that you hire too and understanding what their process is make sure you understand who they are as a person and what they're looking for from a photo shoot, because my philosophy is not everybody's philosophy. My way of doing things is not everyone's way of doing things. And there is a time and a place for every different kind of photographer as well. My way is not the right way. It's what works for me. So. Yeah. Well, interestingly, because even before I contacted you, I had looked at your website and it was just like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, like I just love Aww. every photo you've got on there. And uh, thank you. Yeah, so, so uh, <laughs> I think you're great. Uh, one last question about the family photo. Sure. The, the dog. <laughs> oh, I have uh, three different barks that I use. <laughs> oh, okay. I never thought of a bark. So, yeah. I will bark at a dog um, to get his attention. And a lot of the times I like, if a dog starts running to me, that makes for a great picture too, because you can get the dog in focus and the family blurred or the family in focus and the dog blurred. So again, it's, it's about letting it, letting it happen. You just let it happen. And yeah, it's, you can't control an animal the same way that you can control a teenager or you can control an adult. I would put animals and kids in the same category though. Like it works. It works as long as you're, you're willing to try different things. If you know that your dog has a favorite toy or you know that they are attracted to the smell of ham or something of that sort, like think about those things and bring those with you. So, because if you're holding on to your, to ham in your hand, you don't necessarily see that in a photograph, but the dog will focus more. Or if they have a squeaky toy that they always look at, you can give it to the photographer and the photographer can squeak that toy. 
And oftentimes that will work for kids too. Yeah, I was just thinking that from the days of the old uh, store photos at Christmas. And, and it's funny how you yeah. talk about the, like the ham in the hand or something. Just recently, well, every Saturday I climb a local mountain with some friends. And while we were up there last Saturday, three gals from out of town, young women, said, oh, could you take our picture, you know? So I did, I took the picture, but they had like a, a modern day Polaroid. And I said, oh, check yeah. the picture because like suddenly you're really pushing on the camera. It's not just a little touch. And sure. um, so we got to talk about pictures. And my friend, one of my friends who climbed the mountain said his favorite family photograph was this friend of his who did the, the perfect composition. And I guess probably had it on the 10 second timer or something. So yeah. when running into the photograph, had a biscuit in his hand for the dog, something to tap the kid on the back of the head to get a, his attention. And that was when the camera went off. So biscuit in the hand to the dog and back of the ha- hand to the back of the head for the kid. <laughs> and he says, I love that photograph. I love that photograph. Because <laughs> it's real. It's yeah, real. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I love you know, it. And everybody was perfect so except dad, who was the one that wanted everything perfect. <laughs> Uh, of course. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, now, now, maybe we've talked about this, but you apparently do social media or you talk about social media. Um, mm-hmm. Most of us want to look good, like ourselves, but not like we just walked out of a professional makeover. Um, sure. The tips you gave us earlier, I guess, about, you know, turning on, a, on an angle, shoulder down, or yeah. Sh- yeah, shoulder down, chin, that, that whole thing. That, uh-huh. It's probably. Yeah. Yeah, those are those are probably the top tips. And then if you can photograph yourself in the middle of doing something, people are going to relate to that more instead of just, you know, when you think about a headshot, so a headshot is going to be the typical pose to one side, lean in, hey, here I am. <laughs> but if you're going to, if you're on social media, and you're trying to promote yourself or trying to bring people in, people want to see what you're doing. You know, whether it be painting or typing or drawing or even sipping your coffee, that's that's what we refer to as branding. So branding photography is a completely different aspect than portrait photography would be. Branding is more about what you're doing in that moment and how that relates to your audience than simply here's who I am. So. Okay. This question here that I have for you, I prefaced it by saying it might be a dangerous question to ask a professional, but I think you've already, no, I think you've already touched on it. And I don't think it is a dangerous question. (laughs) All the touch up ability that we have with our computers, filters, enhancements. You obviously probably, I think, use them. Am I safe to say? It depends. So what I actually tell my clients is I will make you look the best version of you. I will not make you look like like a different person. But for example, there is stress that happens on a wedding day. I have had brides who they have not had a zit in two years. And then on their wedding day, a zit pops up. That's something I'm going to touch out. I'm not going to make your chin thinner. I'm not going to change the way that your waist looks. Like those are aspects that I truly believe should not be touched up. But if there's a stain on a shirt because your makeup rubbed off on it, that's something I don't want you to have to look at and be like, I just wish that weren't there. I want you to look like the best version of you. It's the external factors that I'll touch up. So, yeah. Um, yeah. As far as it goes with like filters and so professional photographers, <laughs> I will say a lot of people refer to things as filters and for professionals, it's presets. 
which keep everything that you photograph looking the same. So my greens look the same color of green. My blues are going to be the same color of blues. You know, the skin tones that you see are not going to change very much from one photograph to another, regardless of what that person looks like. It's those kind of things that, depending on who you go with, professional photographers will all have a style that they like to use and will all have a way that they like to photograph the people who are around them. So it's just preference in that matter. I know that there are people who do a lot of touch-ups on their, like on their couples. For me personally, I want you to look like you. So again, it's just going to be those glaring disparities that will be, that will be necessarily fixed. And then, yeah, and then it's just about my edit at that point, keeping it consistent. Consistency is key for a professional. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay. And I guess partially I might've been thinking about scenery where you know that that sunset might be real but you know like if 18 people in the neighborhood have taken a picture of the sunset and suddenly one's just a little bit too intense or a bit like the contrasts are too great or something you go sure yeah (laughs) well that's just a that's but again that's a personal preference for editing Mm -hmm. so that's the great thing about photography too is when I first started with with photos I oversaturated everything everything was oversaturated, bright colors everywhere. People's skin was so orange. I mean, it was, it was honestly looking back, it was a mess, but that's how I found my style was by experimenting and thinking through like, what did I like about this edit? What did I not like about this edit? And so be willing to try something new and you might find that you love something totally different. Like it, so many things in life. Yeah, <laughs> you're a like philosopher. So Add that to your uh, CV. <laughs> I won't claim it. I will not claim that. But. Okay, Christo. At the beginning, I mentioned I didn't really know very much about photography. What haven't I thought of to ask you that a wannabe photographer, a wannabe hobby photographer, should know? Have we? I think we've touched on lots, but we have one of the the really big things that they initially teach you when you first start photography is the rule of thirds and your listeners can look into it on YouTube, on Google, but the rule of thirds technically will make your eye travel better throughout a photograph. There are times to break the rule of thirds. There are times where I prefer to not even utilize the rule of thirds, but I understand the rule of thirds in a manner. And the rule of thirds just says that your screen on a camera is basically broken up into a three by three grid and putting your subjects into one third of that grid will allow your eye to travel to them more easily. But again, it just depends on what you're looking for. I center my, my clients a lot, uh, but I will leave, you know, two thirds of the photograph empty. So empty space is something that a lot of beginner photographers are afraid of and they don't tend to they don't tend to embrace. And when you start to embrace the empty space, you start to find the focal point of your subjects a lot easier. So my eye can travel. If, so for example, you've referenced my website a couple of times. The very first, first photograph on there is a couple who is in front of the Chicago skyline. The Chicago skyline is completely blurred out because I used a very low aperture. There are seagulls flying in towards them but they're located only in the bottom or into the the left portion of that photograph. And there is empty space around them, but it draws your eye to them more efficiently because of that empty space. 
So that would be probably my number one tip would be learn the rule of thirds and then break the rule of thirds. Like there is no rule with photography. That's the best thing about it. Um, but understanding that will, will give you a sense for what composition is like. Yeah. And once again, thinking in my mind's eye, just about different photographs and even the double rainbow I mentioned earlier, one of the things I noticed immediately about his photograph was he had caught just some of the rooftops in the foreground. Yep. Yeah. So. There's that scenery tip, right? The foreground, middle ground, background. Yeah. And it's so, going to draws your eye. Yeah. And the thirds. Exactly. So. <laughs> oh, this is such great information. I don't know if you offer classes. You probably don't have to, uh, or don't have time. But uh, if you do mention them, uh, where can people look at your amazing photographs online? So I actually have a free posing guide that people can go and download from the website. So um, there are 10 free poses. It's for couples. So just preferencing that, but it will give you a sense for it. But it walks you through actually how to get your couples into it and how to get them moving in order to get those authentic moments. So you can go to www.greenappleweddings.co, C-O, not .com. That is, .com is a, um, a company in the UK. And as you can tell, I don't have a English accent. Unfortunately, I would love that. But uh, you can go on there. And then there is under resources, it says for photographers. And there is a free posing guide. And then I also have a course that you can take if you'd like to called posing made simple. That would help you with everything I break down from the feet to your limbs to how to look into a camera, to how to get your couples to do that, to how to get families to do it. But yeah, so I have that available as well. So if you wanted to purchase a course, but yeah. Excellent. Okay. I always put links in the show notes. So that's great. Great. Quick question. Sure. Does green apple mean something? Uh, So my last name Osters is very hard to pronounce. We talked about that earlier. Just (laughs) people pronounce it oysters, osters, iisters I've gotten before. (laughs) So when I first started the company, I was still an educator. And so I thought apple for, for being a teacher and then uh, green is my favorite color. So that's where I came up with green apple photography. Oh, okay. I thought maybe someplace (laughs) in Kentucky was known for the green apples or something. So at least it makes us think. (laughs) Okay. Listeners, you just figured out that Christora really does know her stuff. Drop by the website. She really does. I mean, I, couldn't believe the photographs they were spectacular and I guess just one final tip is if somebody is wanting to hire a professional as you say mm-hmm. you, you want to know that they're going to capture what you want captured is to go by their website yeah. and see what what their work looks like definitely do that and then please meet with your wedding photographer like I I interview clients as much as they're interviewing me so I want to make sure that we're a good fit if you think about it especially for wedding photography even for your family portraits if you don't click with that person, those authentic moments come a lot harder. So interview that person. Don't just hire somebody without talking to them. Okay, as I mentioned, links in the show notes. If you have comments on today's show, you can leave them where you're listening or at twoboomerwomen.com forward slash join dash the dash conversation. Feel free to leave stars. They help us grow and hit the subscribe or follow button before you go. And then you'll be notified about future interviews with more of my great guests if you want to be a guest on podcast or know someone who would there's an application form at the website too christora thank you so much for being my guest on two boomer women today thank you so much for having me it was sincerely my pleasure thank you for sharing so much have a great rest of the week